0: wrong. Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of the Savage Cromcast. My name is Luke. Joined with me is. I'm Josh. I'm
1: Jonathan. And very special guests, we have with us Matt John from the Rogues in the House podcast. How's it going?
0: Woo, 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 woo. So, thanks, Matt. You are here for guess what story? Rogues in the House. <laughs> Go figure. So, season 18 episode eight that's where we are in our uh our road that we're traveling down it's a long it's a long road it's a winding road and at this point we've entered into uh a mansion and we have uh a band of a band of rogues we're gonna we're gonna fight a giant uh ape man who becomes more man than ape
2: yeah He's thick as thack.
1: Yeah, <laughs> that's what we're doing. De-
2: <laughs> so I've
1: got, I've got a mighty pawn, poniard for him.
0: <laughs> You're gonna need
2: it. Yeah.
0: So uh, Matt, we uh, we talked to you. I don't know. It's been uh, probably nine or ten months ago. You were you were on the mics because we recorded a little sunset uh, last day of of Howard Days episode with you. What's been up,
1: dude? Well, that was a that was a pre-brisket uh, recording, as I recall. It was. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I remember distinctly. Uh, <laughs> I think Luke said, "If we don't end this, we're going to have to DQ something different." And it, <laughs> it's, it's true. Yeah, <laughs> it, it yep. made me laugh. It still makes me laugh when I think of <laughs> it.
0: Uh, I
1: love it. I love it when you <laughs> when people just use taglines and like the things the marketers want you to use. You know
0: you're like, ah,
1: whatever. It's working, you, you bastards. It's fine. <laughs> uh, so, yeah. yeah we
0: said – yeah, we were talking for a little while. Like basically the, the brisket line was running thin and we did have to make a jump. But yeah. That's right. Uh, That's anyway. Right. But yeah, what have you been up to, dude? I cut you off. Sorry.
1: Oh, no. It's all good. Um, not a lot, man. I mean I'm, I'm, I'm doing the thing. Rogues in the House has been slow. Um, illness, scheduling conflicts have kind of uh, stopped episodes from coming out for a bit. But the show's not over. So we'll get to that. Um, you know, doing my side hustles with uh, the Conan RPG, writing some short fiction, you know. I'm keeping busy. Uh, are we Are we going to do the one thing thing? Oh, oh yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. Because yeah. I got – listen, a lot of my free time has been spent on a particular something, so I'll talk about it then. Sweet. Okay. Yeah.
0: Sweet. Well, uh, in the – in the interests of, of moving us along, we need to talk about what we're drinking before we, before we tackle the one thing. So, so Matt, what are you drinking?
1: So this is a Pinot Grigio that my wife and I affectionately refer to as our house wine. Well, and it's good to have one. yeah, it is. And it's like, it's a slightly bigger sized bottle than, than the regular bottles. And we always get it, um, at a place called Bishop's Landing or Bishop's Cellar. One of those things. Um, they do, like, a special on Wine Wednesdays. And this is just a perfect middle-of-the-road, not-too-sweet, fairly dry Pinot uh, that pairs really well with Twinkies, we have discovered. <laughs> I know, it's awesome. so weird. But I was like, you know, if we were, like, this hip, you know, restaurant or bar, we would serve this wine with a single Twinkie and people would remember it. And We're never going to do that, but it pairs excellently with a Twinkie. I can't you that's
2: have, what You would have to uh... – uh, have a very specific way to break the twinkie to release the uh, the the <laughs> yeah. appropriate sweetness and then you're That's gonna it. have to like you know you you breathe out the wine then you then you yeah. gently gently bite the center of the twinkie yeah yeah
0: so with white wines do any of them have any sort of like little little like herbal note or anything like that you can catch on the nose is that something that can happen because I could see like a little mint leaf or uh a little, just a little bit of herb on top of your. i tell tweaky. you,
1: if I'm drinking some kind, of, yeah, I don't know what it is in this wine. And I think the reason we like it is the house wine is because it's just so middle of the road. You're not getting anything. Uh, it's not pointing you in a direction. But man, I drink some Savion Blancs where it's like, what is this? This is this one's cat pee or gasoline with like a hint <laughs> of pine, and it's yeah. like. You know, I'll either really love it or like can't even drink it. You Can go either way with those
3: ones for me. Uh
1: huh. Yeah, but this no is... connoisseur here. I won't get pretentious on you.
3: No, this is the most cultured our drink roll call has ever been.
1: <laughs> yeah, man. <laughs> I don't know about that. I've listened. You guys are talking about smoky flavors and things like that. I didn't even invoke that.
0: Sure, <laughs> you said caper. Yeah, that's <laughs> <Yeah.
2: laughs> a little smoky.
0: I'm pretty sure I've uh, made a, a batch of meat or two, and Josh probably has two that taste a little bit like cat pee or like high octane rocket fuel, rocket rocket fuels.
2: (laughs) Just, it just Mm -hmm. gets you in the mode faster, gentlemen. (laughs)
0: That's right. If it's 14%, (laughs) then, uh, then it's just double strength, right? You can put it
2: it in your car, you can put it in your body and yeah, it's, it's uh, (laughs) a (laughs) multi-use.
0: So that's what, uh, that's, what's been drank on the, the North side of the border on the South side of the border.
3: John, what do you got going? Uh, I, I am doing, uh, benchmark, Uh, small batch oh nice yes Yes, i found it sitting at the the new kroger alcohol store that's in our vicinity and they didn't have a price tag on it so i kind of rolled the dice and it turned out to be a good deal
2: sweet yeah the brandon
3: the brandon one yes
0: was it probably just like 25 bucks or something yes
3: i think it was 24 or something
0: yeah (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> so, so Matt, here uh, in Kentucky, there's a there's a bottom shelf like ten American dollar bottle of bourbon called Benchmark that is uh, an old college favorite of ours. But more recently, it's put out by the same, co- same company, Buffalo Trace, that does you know high end bourbons. But they've they've started releasing in the past couple of years some some small batches, some single barrels, some various things of their Benchmark. And so it's kind of cool that they've got these slightly up-tiered offerings but they're still only like 25 bucks so they're to- <laughs> they're totally affordable uh and we've had the single barrel and i think you've had the bonded before right john that we shared that's it yeah uh, i was trying to remember which ones
3: i tried yeah the bonded
0: yeah the bonded was good the the single barrel or the foolproof or whatever not it's not it's not the single barrel it's the foolproof full full it's proof. too it's not good uh, to me it wasn't <laughs> it, it was it was too it was too raw speaking uh, of rocket
3: fuel
2: it's yeah. pretty hot. And I, it was I like very to, grassy.
1: Yeah, like when you get a, a liquor that is like only for effects, I like to call it graveyard liquor because <laughs> it's like where you would get blasted at a graveyard with your, <laughs> <laughs> with your buddies. It's like, why are we here? I don't know, man. We're drinking with yes. Robert E. Howard. Yes, yeah. what happens. <laughs> I'm doing a – what do you call it when the, you, you put the thing over the grave and you do the uh, impression of it? You like Oh, uh, an
0: etching or yeah. a rubbing? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Rubbing.
1: Rubbing is the word.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Uh a lot of those uh foolproof or barrel proof bourbons that are out are really good deals and they're super flavorful and they're like they're delicious. But that benchmark is just a little too young, I think. I think it was too it need it needs another year or two. But they're probably pushing it out just
2: a bit quick. Well you know, it's it's tough to find now.
0: Yeah, yeah. The,
2: so
0: yeah.
2: It's it's they've worked their uh, magic yet again.
0: Yeah, but Josh, what are you drinking?
2: Um, I have some Wild Turkey One Zero One Kentucky Straight Bourbon Whiskey, uh, signed by Jimmy Russell, who is the master distiller at that fine establishment. Um, I also have uh, some some little uh, pony bottles of Ale Eight. So I'm I'm having a, an old trailer fashioned.
1: <laughs> nice, dude. So, like, does Wild Turkey suggest? The, uh, existence of a civilized Turkey. Sure. Like, do we have like the barbaric Turkey versus civilized
3: civilized (laughs) Turkey? Go John. (laughs) (laughs) What do you, what do you want me to say?
2: Uh, I want you to talk about how wild Turkey is like the, uh, I don't know, the true American spirit. And
1: (laughs) it sounds like it to my Canadian ass for the (laughs) wild Turkey rings as like the true American
3: spirit. It's it's a it's a white so, trash perennial. I was trying to think of a, I of a mean, barbaric just, name for a, a turkey, like gobbler conan th- or something. I think it's just it's just not the
0: domesticated turkey, right? Like right. wild right. like like the right. actual scientific uh or the accepted common name of the uh turkey that you would find out in the woods in eastern North America is the wild turkey. Like wild yeah. turkey. So that's that's what it is, yeah. Uh but man, it's it may be a little trailer park, but it is also, I would say, like white collar uh, appreciated too. Like it is a bourbon that you're never going to have an issue finding. It's solid. Uh, it's solid. It's the it's the Johnny Walker of bourbons. I would I would hazard <laughs> to say.
3: I really want to see you sent round, Luke. Maybe we can post it in the show notes. It was like <laughs> a, a scatter plot of of different Dang. political affiliations for beers. I would love <laughs> yeah. the same for bourbon.
2: I've seen that. I think uh, yeah.
3: Because I would so like good. to think actually, Wild Turkey is like the Union, the Union Man's Bourbon, but we maybe... should
2: make one of those for bourbons. Yeah,
1: the beer one might have gotten blown up recently with, uh, with the particular different cans, right? Yeah, Who, knows, no who yes. knows where it is now, right?
3: That's a good point.
0: <laughs> that's true. <laughs> yeah,
1: things uh, that's have funny. changed. Mm-hmm. So, so this will be
0: actually all right. So, uh, moving along, what I'm drinking, I have uh, Coors Banquet beer. The Oh yeah, the, the core is heavy. That's what I'm drinking, and so the the line graph, or actually, it's not a line graph, right? It's a it's a two D sketch It's a biplot. That's what we call it if we're doing some sort of like uh, multi dimensional scaling or uh, like uh, multivariate analysis. You've got along the x axis it goes liberal to conservative, and along the y axis it goes. And so liberal to conservative is of course left to right, right? But along the Y axis, uh, at the bottom, it has working class, which makes sense. Mm. And at the top, it says elitist. So you've got this, <laughs> and I thought that was really clever. You've got the left to right, as well as the low to high class distinction. Mm. And then it's just got a smattering of different uh, beer brands. And so in the big smack dab is Miller Lite. That is the beer that everybody, no matter what you're – your your breed or your brand that you can agree on. Everybody can drink Miller Lite. I don't know if I necessarily
3: agree with that.
0: (laughs) And and I'm not going to go over all of these, but I'll go over the extremes. So in the elitist conservative angle, it's Michelob Ultra. We'll leave that there. (laughs) In the uh, working class conservative angle, it's Bush. Just Bush beer, Bush heavy, maybe you would call it. Uh, In the elitist liberal arena, I love this because these aren't even like, uh, like commercial beers. I mean, I guess they are because like, uh, what like who does Voodoo Ranger? Uh, is that New Belgium? No, that's not New Belgium. I'm spacing. But Voodoo Ranger IPA and Lagunitas IPA, like basically had to be. (laughs) Yeah, your IPAs are the elitist liberals. Yeah. And then the working class liberal uh, extreme is the high life, <laughs> which I which cracked me up. Uh, and you can read into that what you will. Uh, Budweiser is straight up working class down the middle. Uh, yeah. But yeah, Coors heavy. It's not on here. There's no Coors light. There's no Coors. I would hazard to say that it falls right beside Budweiser. It's just kind of mm-hmm. like the Budweiser label is just a little bit fatter over it. Because people don't drink it as much. Interesting. Data. Data and data visualizations. Maybe we'll link to that. That's what we're drinking. Sorry for the meanders.
3: I liked it it a lot. I would love to have it for a bourbon. And I would just put out that Hunter S. Thompson loved wild turkey. And I feel like that has to have an effect on where it falls on the the chart. I
1: think you're right. He's a bit of a wild turkey himself, that guy. Very much so.
3: Yeah.
0: All right, we'll work on a biplot. Next episode, we'll come back and we'll maybe we'll cuss and discuss some of the four quadrants of the biplot and try not to step on any toes. But let's leave that to the side. Let's move over to the one thing. do alright uh,
1: Matt, I'm gonna put you on the spot. Are you good to go with the one thing? It seemed like you got something. Hell yeah! I've been waiting to give a one thing for a while here. Uh, okay. So this was actually gonna be a thing I do. Uh, I was gonna talk about on on rogues. Might even do an episode about it. I don't know because I've been really taken by this. So are you? F- you're all familiar with the name uh, FromSoft, is that? Uh, so we're talking like Dark Souls. An open kind of ring.
2: ring. Yes, but yeah, 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 yeah.
1: Yeah, so I was being a wuss for a long time um, telling myself that One those aren't the games way. for me, despite how cool they look, because I want to relax for my video game experience, right? I just kind of want to sit down, chill. I don't want stressors in my life when I'm playing video games. But I, uh, I signed up for the PlayStation. Extra, or whatever the hell they're calling it. The PlayStation version of Game Pass. And on there was Demon's Souls, the uh, sort of remake for PlayStation 5. And I'd been looking at it because I was like, it's just a gorgeous game. Can I stomach this? Because everyone was telling me, oh, they're too hard, you won't like it. Anyways, I would say these games are not so much difficult as they are just harsh. Now, I, you know, I'm a guy who grew up on video games. I'm 40 years old, so I've been in all these generations of games. They're not really that hard. They're just, you got to be committed. Long story short, these things have, like, blown my mind. I started with Demon <laughs> Souls. I did about 60 hours in that game. I was hooked as hell. Then I skipped right over to Elden Ring, which is, like, game of the year from last year by most metrics. It's this crazy open-world situation. Also very harsh, but like the the world building and the sort of drip feed narrative and just the cool ass creature design, it has got its hooks in me so hard that I'm almost embarrassed how much time I've been spending on video games in the last about a month and a half or two months. Like I'm talking (laughs) video games where, you know, I'm looking at like 90 hours into Elden Ring here, guys. I can't remember. It was like Skyrim would be the last time I ever sunk that much time into a game. Yeah, that's Skyrim levels. Yeah. So I won't go into like everything I love about this. I will just say that if if it kind of looks cool to you, but you're being wuss about it, don't be. If you've played any video games before, these are – they're not difficult. They're just harsh, right? You just have to be deliberate, careful, and keep your goddamn shield up. Is it
0: the kind of thing where you just like save every five minutes before you uh... – Get to the next encounter or
1: no, you don't really have a save function. You just kind of like leave the game and save, which is kind of nice. You can just sort of leave wherever. But if you encounter something and it kills you, you drop your current experience points and then you have to sort of make your way back from a checkpoint, which is kind of different depending on the game. Okay. I hated hearing that on paper. I was like, oh, i got to backtrack. I don't do that anymore. This is 2023 in video games. I don't do that. But um, it's not so bad. And honestly, if you grind a little, which is kind of a dirty word in games, you get a little more powerful than you should be when you face the encounter. And then it's not so bad. You just got to learn some routines and check the bosses and what they're doing and make sure you don't get sandwiched. But it's really, it's really not that difficult. It's just you gotta. If, if you're an RPG player and you've done these deep dives, this will be familiar territory. And like the vistas, the creature design, all of it, you will just have moments of, oh my god, that's
2: cool. With with Dark Souls, uh, which is uh, a really tough game, like kind of uh, the 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 game that sort of set off this uh, trend and really challenging really kind of unforgiving video games like about Matt. Um, I agree with you. They're, they're unforgiving. They're not so hard that you can't play them. And you've got to, you've got to really pay attention is the thing. Like every boss is going to show some, like there's, there's some move they do before they unleash some attack. you've got to be ready to dodge Right, you get like you said, you got to keep that shield up, and
1: yeah, you gotta you gotta definitely make sure you don't die, which yeah. is the thing. But
2: primacy, you, yeah, don't die.
1: Yeah, but the easiest part is like you get yourself geared up, so you're doing a shitload of damage, so that when you do attack, you'll knock them out pretty quick. The battle won't necessarily be forever, and I don't so know. So with
0: with these like boss fights and the kind of things that you encounter, because I don't have any kind of clue what the what the gameplay is like. Can mm-hmm. you basically cut and run? Like this isn't like Final Fantasy three where you're locked into a battle, you, right? You're like deaf, you can, with a
1: boss, you're locked in. They oh, are okay. like literally locked into a room. And so if you're dying there, <laughs> your experience goes with it. Yeah. Okay, your, your current type. experience, right? If you've not, because you, you have your total, you level up. Once you leveled, that's not going to get taken from you, except in a few rare instances.
0: So you're level twenty seven. You grind, grind, grind. You go fight the 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 Minotaur. Mm -hmm. and the minotaur kills you, you get kicked back down to level 27 and you start back at the village and you make your way back to the minotaur. And maybe you're set back an hour or something. Not an hour.
1: That's no, Uh it's, it's more like moments, sometimes seconds. Yeah. It kind of just depends on the level. And sometimes they want to kick your ass a little more to frig with you, but yeah, you kind of just got to try it to see and give it a, give it a couple hours and, and you'll know, I think. But for me, it, it just sucked me back into video games in a big way. I had been kind of divorced from them for other hobbies. And now I'm like, Oh, got to play all these nice. Yeah. So that's me. That's my thing. Nice, man. Cool.
0: Do you want to, you want to go with one, Josh?
2: Um, yeah, I can do it. Um, so it. I've been, I, I'm looking back to see if this, if this is something that I've talked about recently, <laughs> but, uh, I've started reading <laughs> the terror by Dan Simmons. Oh, Nice. nice. You guys, have you guys read The Terror or, or uh-huh. watched the uh the TV adaptation of it?
1: Not read, but I, I did watch it and I quite liked
3: it. Read, but not watched.
2: Okay.
0: Uh read and oh. partially watched. Okay. I can't um. remember I, I can't remember how far I got on watching, but I really love the aesthetic. I think it was one of those that I was watching and I ended up watching solo because Lizzie quickly fell off the boat, and it's hard for me to watch a show by myself unless I'm just like <laughs> It becomes an obsession, and
2: yeah, I feel I, but that.
0: I love the aesthetic of it, dude. It's so beautiful, it's uh, so horrible.
2: <laughs> horrible, yeah. The so I watched the first episode is all I've watched, but I'm about 120 pages in. It's a it's a big beefy book, um, but it really has kindled this interest in Arctic exploration and like you know 1850s to to 1880s Arctic exploration. Mm. Holy crap! Can you imagine? Can you oh. imagine? On, getting on a wooden ship that's like <sighs> that's like coated in some kind of iron yep. and and just <laughs> like I'm gonna gonna we're gonna leave from here go to Greenland uh, restock our supplies there we have got to make sure we've got enough that'll that'll last like three years and that's if that's if we only eat like one meal a day right and a meal a meal you guys is a piece of tough salted pork and maybe some vegetables from a tin can.
1: Yeah, Um, like a a squirt of lemon juice or something to ward off that scurvy, right? Right, right, yeah.
3: stuck in the ice for two years. Like, the idea of being like, yeah, I'm going to go explore. Oh, I got stuck for two years. two years.
2: (laughs) And I have – so this is the first Dan Simmons book I've read. And I can't – to his credit, I cannot tell you how engrossed I was in a a chapter that was all just about ice Mm -hmm. (laughs) and the the type – The different types of ice that they can encounter, whether pancake ice, which they could just, like, (laughs) kind (laughs)
0: of.
2: Yeah. Or, or like, being out in a channel and and being frozen in the channel for uh, the better part of a year and just watching as your ship uh, gets shorn in two as you're sort of straddling this current and one current's going north and the other is going south and and your your ice is just ripping your boat in half yeah tough um, luck <laughs> man, <laughs> like it's it's just so so good uh and like i said i'm not finished with the book by any stretch um but i have really been into this this idea of hopping on a hopping on a, a poorly conceived <laughs> uh, ice vessel and go and find the Northwest Passage in 1870. That's insane to me.
3: I'm really intrigued by that book too because it seems like it convinces so many people of its sort of like documentary sort of veracity. I have found it shelved mm-hmm. in the Arctic exploration section at Half Price Books have you really? multiple times. Like people think, oh, this is, this is it. Like this is a real uh, sort of factual book.
2: But we don't really know what happened to these guys, right? right like, right. they just fell off the, the face of the planet or something.
3: Didn't they find part of it or part of one of the boats a year ago or a year and a half ago? I remember that being something of big news.
2: Um, I don't know. I, I might have missed that story.
1: Yeah, yeah, me as well. I, I uh, yeah, I did I did not read the book. I um, would read the book, however, but I really did like that series. Strong acting throughout. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, I dug it quite a lot. It reminded me too. There was another one that came out. Uh, did you guys watch The North Water?
2: No, mm, no,
1: no. S- so Colin Farrell's in there. A few others. It's similar, kind of. Uh, you know, let's go frig around in the Arctic and see what's going on on these, on these, uh, with all this ice, right? Let's go see what's up with all this ice. Yeah. Oh, oh cool. cool. Uh, I think well, it was also on- based on a book, but yeah, it's a it's a mini
2: series. Solid, solid watch.
0: Recommend. It's got a a 95% on the Rotten Tomatoes. Yeah, man.
2: Yeah, yeah. Northwater. Northwater. I wrote it down. That's that's my one thing is uh, Arctic, uh, poorly conceived Arctic exploration.
0: (laughs) I love it. Uh,
3: Okay, I'll bring – no. John, do you want to go? Sure. Uh, My one thing – I recently got to go back home to Purdue University, and while I was visiting – I made a special point of going to a bookstore that was near and dear to my heart up there. Its name is Vaughn's Bookshop. Um, The name is sort of evocative of the stacks and stacks of books that they have hidden in the basement and in their upstairs part, but they also sell records. Uh, They have a very profuse jewelry section with lots of crystals and gemstones. Uh, They sell beads (laughs) and t-shirts. They have a, a comic section that's been dwindling for a long time, like ever since I went to undergrad there. Uh, and they used to have a very bustling video business, actually. Uh, but, of course, with the, the dawn of streaming, that's kind of subsided. But uh, it's been a staple on campus at Purdue since 1968. Uh, I was intrigued because when I went home to Purdue, uh, the students were talking about, oh, yeah, they, they're thinking about closing. And it basically comes down to shoplifting and stuff. Uh, uh-huh. So I actually, I, if you go to northern Indiana, if you're in West Lafayette, uh, make a special trip. You the, If you go to the basement, there is a used book section. Uh, I found and sent pictures of to Luke and Josh. Uh, there was a, a crate of Tanith Lee books that you could pick through. Um, there was a whole bunch of Conan pastiches that I found. Uh, there was S.M. Sterling. Uh, you name it. Anybody that's like a who's who in science fiction and fantasy, uh, if you are into the paperback collecting, you can have a, a day and a half just kind of going through down there. So make a special trip to Indiana and go to a cool bookstore, I guess, a uh, tourism ad for, for my home state.
0: Hell yeah, man. That's beautiful. Uh, It sounds like a really cool place. The, the pics you sent, I was just like, uh, just combing through the, the yellow Daw spines. Like, that's what I loved about the, the (laughs) it was just like yellow spine after yellow spine. It was beautiful.
1: Yeah. That's, that's something that like people outside of this sort of niche won't understand. Right. It's not even just like you go to a science fiction and fantasy section. It's, it's when you see those older books with those paperbacks and those, those painted covers, you just get all excited for the treasures you didn't even know you needed.
3: Right. Yeah. Yep. Yep.
0: So, so Matt, how is it, uh, like hunting up old paperbacks, like where you're at? Like I've only been, uh, north of the border a couple times, like to Toronto and Vancouver. So like cities, right. And I was able to hit bookstores there and it was very much like awesome bookstores with lots of material but is it pretty easy pickings do you get like different covers than what we see here that kind of thing
1: yeah sometimes sometimes you see some like british versions of things that have slipped in um but i think mostly we get mostly um yeah the same as american covers and things like that it's kind of uh i mean it depends city to city right and there's all kinds of like little little towns where i go where i'll check out particular little stores that have things but it's, it's as much a hunt as it is anywhere. Um, okay. I think what you'll find though around here is, I don't know if this is different elsewhere, but just coming upon books that don't realize the value, like oh yeah, my, uh, coming upon stores that don't realize the value of books. Like my daughter brought me home, uh, one of the James Silk death dealer books the other day, which I already had, but she paid a quarter for this. And on eBay, it's like no less than $60 for beat up copies of this book. And so I'm like, good job. It was a <laughs> cover, She's like, yeah, I thought that was like the hoodie that you wear. I was like, it is. I will never read this book. I tried the first one. I did not enjoy it. <laughs> <laughs> um, but the covers, you can't beat it. Can't. No,
0: they're. Uh, yeah, it's it's so crazy, man. Like how you might stumble into some stuff like that. Uh, how big is Halifax?
1: Ooh, Halifax like a mill. Um, well, okay. no, like the the old. Really, the province is about a million in Nova Scotia. Um,
3: okay,
1: Halifax is the biggest city, so yeah.
3: Population density thins out from there. Four hundred thirty-nine thousand okay. eight hundred and nineteen souls dwelling in Halifax, go. Nova Scotia. I so mean, that's a pretty big. That's a pretty happened. big
0: town, man. Yeah, yeah.
1: It's it's expanding too, and like all of our property values just skyrocketed during okay. COVID. Um, Is it
0: straight, like, burbs out from the the city center kind of thing? Like, it just, you know, ex-urban sprawl kind of deal?
1: Yeah, it's like, we're, we're like, very much a port city, so, like, everything kind of started building there. Mm -hmm. The south end of the city is, like, the nice, high-cost houses and buildings and all that jazz. And then it just, yeah, kind of spreads out from there. It's on a little peninsula. Okay. Um,
0: Yeah, I was just wondering, you know, because you can find, for me, like, finding the, the super scores of course tends to either happen when, when you're surfing online, when somebody doesn't know what they have, or you end up in a true like old little, uh, used bookstore or used store. Like if you go to any of the, the larger flea markets these days that have a lot of stuff, like all together, a lot of that's actually like way overpriced. It's like, nah, for sure. Yeah. yeah. And a lot of
1: like the, the chain stores, like, um, i think you guys have like goodwill or whatever we have like value Mm -hmm. village and they they if they see something like still in a package like oh my god it was one (laughs) million (laughs) dollars like bro that's sold for it's from the dollar store it's not not actually all
3: right i see a capricorn books dartmouth book exchange schooner books agricola books or agricola street books is there still?
1: I used to go to one called Dust Jacket, and then it moved to a place where the parking is insane, and I just have never gone back.
3: I don't see that one yet, but yeah. you have quite a few used bookstores. It looks like
1: yeah, we've got we've got we've got a good few little, and then we got like the comic stores that have used book sections and things like that too. So yeah, yeah okay. I, just, I see Strange Adventures. Strange Adventures is not a lot of used. They're kind of like the hippy dippy comic store. Like ooh, the latest independent comics which Which is totally cool it's totally cool um my friendly (laughs) local game store for the record is monster comic
3: lounge i prefer uh, i see that one now yes uh, yeah it's a great spot shout out to monster comics lounge uh 4.6 stars 308 reviews i would trust that any day
0: hell yeah i feel like you need to check out capricorn books though man i feel like they have to have a pretty sick like a cult section and uh a good a good deep dive into
1: some uh it's funny you've actually Some just, dark dark stuff. You doing a, a search from America to Canada on these used bookstores I should be checking out, and
3: I haven't. It's next to <laughs> Tim Hortons too, so you could get coffee uh, and get, Dude. Everything is next to a Tim Hortons here. Right? <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah. No, you gotta go to this place. It is it's stacks on stacks on stacks of stuff. I'm seeing in some some user Capricorn pictures. Capricorn <laughs> books. Yep. All right, I'm checking this out. CDs, vinyl Records, and DVDs. Come on down to Capricorn Books.
1: You know, it's funny. I used to really kind of turn up the nose at like used DVDs like over the last few years. Like, ah, who needs that anymore? And now I'm like, I'm looking at these sections again <laughs> because things don't stay on the streaming platform. Right. I didn't really realize that they move around. And it's like I need John Carpenter's The Thing at all times if I need to watch that.
0: Right. Yeah. yeah. And you want you want the, the the commentary and that kind of stuff, too. Yeah. Just, yeah, yeah. Yeah.
1: Physical media.
0: All right. I'll be quick with my one thing. I'm going to bring us home. Uh, So my one thing is a band and specifically it's an album Uh, here, probably three hours prior to you hearing my voice in real life. I was mowing the backyard and in doing so I was listening to the album American scrap by Huntsman. Uh, This is an album from 2018, I believe uh, I may have mentioned this band in the past, maybe not. I can't remember. I, it, it's hard to say, but they're a band that I love and I've loved this album specifically, and it's hard to kind of pin what they are down. They're definitely in the metal world, but I would say if you're in the, if you like uh, Bruce Springsteen's like Nebraska, or, uh, Ghost of Tom Joad, like the lyrics of that, if you like, uh, I like that a lot, uh, actually. If you like Neil Young, Neil Young and Crazy Horse kind of live rust sound. Yeah. If you if you like, uh, I don't. They don't sound anything like Tool. But if you like seven or eight minute songs that have a lot of ebbs and flows, and they take you on a trip, uh, and if you like some really swinging, uh, I don't know, like, uh, fairies wear boots, like bass and drums, Sabbath kind of, kind of lopes. I like and, all of those things. Uh, the, you check out Huntsman and check out the album American scrap they I, they're the bees knees. Their stuff currently is coming out on prosthetic records. Uh, this past year they had an EP they released called the dying pines. And they actually to, in the, end that album that little shorter 20 minute album it's three songs the first minute the first three minutes is an opening song and then there's two two songs that are seven or eight minutes apiece. so it's basically two songs with a brief little introduction Uh, but the last song is carry on which is a uh crosby steals nash and young song that they cover and they just absolutely shred uh so give that a listen if you're wanting to listen to a cover. But if you are checking out just some of their stuff outright, American Scrap, I would say, is the album to roll with. The songs Pyre, Canary King, Atlantic City. Those are my personal favorites. But really, there's only like five songs on the album with a couple little interludes. And every one of the songs is six or seven minutes long. And you can't go wrong queuing up any of them.
1: So so that's actually, Luke, that's good painting music, I like to think. For, oh, yeah. for miniature painting, my favorite kind of albums to listen to are the more, you know, longer form songs. I'm not looking to bop and pop. I want I want a journey. So
0: <laughs> Yeah, I would Maybe. say, I, I wouldn't say this is this not a grind. Mm-hmm. Like uh my friend Jen uh she she likes to say that uh if a song, if she digs it, she's like, that's a bop. Uh <laughs> these songs are not a bop. They're not a three-minute yeah. in and out kind of thing. And they're they're not a grind, but they are. Do they slap? They, they do I would. I would say that they groove, and they groove whether they're playing like acoustic guitars and it's super tight, beautiful harmonies. Uh, th- that that grooves. But when it busts out a little bit of a, a guttural metal bit with some some blast beats, it works just as well. And it all very much grooves, even when it gets to its heaviest. It's got a. It's got something you can bob your head to. So anyway, Huntsman is the band, uh, Prosthetic uh uh is the label, American Scrap is the album I would recommend, but you're not gonna
1: go wrong picking any of their last few. Uh yeah, I, that's it. I, I wrote it down. That makes a thing real. <laughs> Check it out.
0: <laughs> Check them out. Check out Huntsman. Mm-hmm. Uh all right, those three things. Four plus things. one more thing from Nova Scotia. Uh, And some sweet, sweet bookstore spots to check out, no matter where you happen to be here. If you're in North America on the eastern side of things, uh, put them together. We call them all. (laughs) I love it. I feel like we're uh, we're covering a lot of ground here, man.
2: Yeah. (laughs) Running. That's how we do, man. You got to do it. Running toward that house of Nabonidus. Yeah. There's (laughs) the segue. Talk
0: talk about the rogues in the house.
1: I mean, yeah, guys, you know, it's so weird. Um, It's funny. You guys saw rogues and I like, hey, we should should get a rogue from the rogues in the house podcast. Every time I see that now, I see the story or I see a comic title or whatever it is. I'm just like, wait, what? My podcast? No, 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 no. It's not (laughs) mine. Right, um, you just you have that
3: association, right? The quick association
1: when you see it. So
3: ours is with Comcast, so we kind of understand.
1: <laughs> yeah, <laughs>
0: you no can't Google you No, yeah, you have like, to. You have to Google, and then you have to say, "No, I really did mean Chromecast, not yeah. cro- not not Chromecast."
2: Yeah. Like correction, I, I meant it. I meant oh. it, jerks.
1: Yeah.
2: Uh, so that begs the question, Matt. Why? Why this story's title for your podcast? Why? What was it about? Either the title or the story that made you go, "Yep, that's the one that that I want to identify." So, yeah,
1: I, I actually anticipated this question. <laughs> uh, the the Alex and Logan and I were playing like Conan Exiles. I think we met through Conan uh, Conan Gaming Group on Facebook, the page I moderate, um, and so we started playing it, and I think we started talking about. Uh, Doing a podcast because we were gabbing and it was fun. I was like, hey, man, we could probably talk about stuff. Anyways, I think it was as simple as I said, we should call it Rogues in the House. That's a good name for a podcast. And of course, it's a good name for a Sword and Sorcery podcast because it has the association. And then I actually messaged Fred Momberg and was like, this is okay, right? Like, you're not going to end up, you know, this isn't going to be a problem later. And like, no, it's fine. There's no copyright on rogues in the house, so we can have our
2: podcast, too. Fred's like, no, but someday I'm going to come to you and I'm going to ask for a favor.
1: <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's fine, but
2: you will owe me. Yeah. Yeah, no, no. Uh,
1: so, yeah, nothing uh, nothing spectacular. Just felt like a bunch of rogues in the house talking about things. And, man, I, when I was listening to this book today, listening kids at home, that's right, it's the modern age. Uh, there was a few sentences I meant to write down and I didn't have a pen handy because it was like a really good line about rogues being in the house. And I forgot it. I'll see if I find it during the show.
0: This is this is definitely one of those stories where it does have the 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 title pops up in the text. My my wife loves yeah. that. Whatever that pops up in a <laughs> in a movie. That's like always her favorite part. We always, always giggle yeah, now because it's <laughs> I
1: signal my wife at the same time. I go, it's just I look over and we're just yeah, it's the moment of oh they said it. Said I, I, do, I do love that I do love it. Yeah So
0: this one uh, I've got here uh, Came out in January 34 I don't necessarily know When it was written in relation to the others But this is following in quick succession To the other stories that we talked about Like the Pool of the Black one came out in October So just like a couple months later This one follows uh, A lot of folks like this story and uh, it seems like this is a story that people think of as kind of a, a return to form maybe uh, versus with, versus a couple of the other stories that came before. I don't know uh, how, how we can approach this, what we think about it, but maybe we can start with that. Do you guys see this as a story that's like a return to the better Conan story or just something different?
2: Well, I'll I'll take a stab at answering the question. So, the past few stories that we've looked at have dealt with uh, Conan, who has through through fate or circumstance been um, in cahoots with uh, a scantily clad maiden, uh, wandering upon some, you know, uh, lost city or or some ruins or something like that, and. Something bad happens, and they, he's got to save the day or or get out of there alive. Um, this time, it's it's kind of a similar formula, but now instead of a scantily clad maiden, we're here with uh, uh, Murillo, who is enmeshed in the the you know the decadent sort of civilized machinations uh, in this in the city. Um, and this guy needs somebody who can get into Nabonidus's house and take him down. Right. Um, and so I think this takes some of the formula like Conan is, is entering into a, a weird situation. Um, very little magic in this story. If, if any at all, uh, this time, no real scantily clad maiden, but we've got a a man ape, which is, uh, I would argue just as good. <laughs>
3: uh, interestingly, Mark Finn actually takes a stab at this question, Luke, uh, in his sort of post script in the Dark Horse Conan Rogues in the House and Other Stories trade nice. paperback. Oh, cool. It's called Robert E. Howard, the Fourth Rogue. Uh, and he has a bit where I'll quote him and say Consider that the first three Conan stories Howard sent to Weird Tales, Farnsworth Wright only bought Phoenix on the Sword, and even then with revisions. Sending stories to Wright was hit or miss for Howard. The next few Conan stories found a home too, but right after Queen of the Black Coast, the Conan story ceased to be about Conan himself and instead become all about the ruins and the sorcerers inside them, or the tribal chiefs and the harem girls they want to bed. There's certainly nothing wrong with that, of course, but there's a run of formulaic Conan stories with cringing women, tribal conflict, and nameless evil in forgotten ruins. Gothic? Sure. World building? Definitely. The best Conan stories out there? Hardly. That's what makes rogues in the house such a joy and delight. Uh, It's written at the end of the first stint of Conan stories and Howard stumbled onto the secret to writing a Conan story successfully. Conan's worldview is more interesting than the world itself.
1: Yeah, I I actually Mark Mark Finn told me before that rogues was one of his favorite stories and I had said at the time it was one of mine or or may have been my favorite story. I feel like that sort of changes over time, but yeah, um, I think one of the things I really like about this is it feels like a younger Conan. I don't. It chronology seems spotty and weird, and we don't necessarily know who, when, what, or even where this takes place. Right? We don't know for sure. Is that correct?
2: I believe it is. It's, it's someplace called the Maze. I don't the re-
1: Maze. Yeah, but
2: if we like, know what section, like, is it Zamora? Are we back there? That's
1: the question. Is I think some people have tried to spin it so that it is Zamora, or it's spin, not. Like
0: we the could, mall is part of the 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 inner city, and the maze is just another bad part of.
1: Yeah, yeah. Could yeah, be. Yeah, I don't know. And and but he but also uh who is it? Um Nabonitis mentions too how Thak came from the mountains that were adjacent to Zamora. He didn't say adjacent to here. Right. So, so I, I don't I don't know. I yeah,
0: and you've all. got a Gunderman like okay, so so kind of building on this, this story to kind of add to what Josh is putting forth to me really does seem like a mix of like the uh, palace intrigue or the political machinations of like the Phoenix on the sword with a lot of the formula that we've seen from more recent Conan stories. And it's like smush them all together and leave out any of the crazy cosmic bad dude stuff. And voila, like this is the story that comes out and it's, it's, it's it's writing to a formula i don't know this story is it's clear it's it's super cool and i don't know if we made this observation when we when we did our first season to see how uh howard is like glomming on the specific concepts and tropes and he continues to write about them right like the 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 de-evolution sort of maladaption evolution angle this is a direct carry over from the the pool of the black one like with what he talked about in his in the, in the previous story right he was yeah. he was fixated on the thing he's also got this formula but he's like adding i don't know
1: it's mm-hmm. yeah a bit a bit like uh, children of the night worms of the earth kind of bit too with the sort of playing around with that but, you mm-hmm. know well and in a couple hundred years, you know, Thak might be human again, and or he might become human, and yeah, I don't know. There's a bit of like um, a bit of detectivey elements too, uh, similar to like God, God in, in the Bowl. Bowl. Yeah. yeah,
0: I agree that that's something that definitely came out to me this time around. The way that there's all of this observation, and there's yeah. a lot of like we watch now. This is very. detective-y with the way that it's played out. And that's apparent to me now, but it wasn't apparent to me the first time because I hadn't really gone to the bowl (laughs) until (laughs) until after the fact. But it definitely gives it a different feel. To me, it's a much more passive story in a lot of ways. Yeah. Like there's there's action, but the action is not like all of
1: the hyper-violence that we see in the story. Yeah, some of it happens like off screen, even like where Conan is talking about how I was going through the gate and then the gate smashed down below me and you know, I couldn't have gotten through it an elephant couldn't have moved it, blah, blah, blah. That, that's, that sort of stuff too is like, yeah, almost off screen actions and mm-hmm. what Zach does. He tears the dogs apart or he tears the yeah. apart the dog. And like, yeah, it's very sort of, that's what reminds me of God in the bowl so much is they're like the little plot twists and the things that have occurred, they're presenting it to you, the reader in that way. kind of reminds me of that.
0: Yeah. I don't know the – the like I, I mentioned this earlier, the the actual writing history of this. If I would have had a bit more time to do some homework, maybe I would have looked up if there was any Bobby Derry quotes or mm. short essays about how this is put together. But this to me does seem like a story that was revised a bit, whereas I feel like some of the other stuff that we've talked about uh, were stories that could deal with some revision. Like <laughs> – Oh, in,
3: rec- in recent weeks. Luke, let's hear what Howard has to say about this. Uh, okay, hit me, hit me with it. In a letter to Clark Ashton Smith, this was one of those yarns which seemed to write itself. I didn't rewrite it even once. As I remember, I only erased and changed one word in it, and then sent it in just as it was written. I remember oh. reading that before. That's right, yeah. Snip,
0: snap. Yep. Okay, yeah. where did you read that?
3: Uh, the Fourth Rogue by Mark Finn. <laughs> <laughs> oh,
0: okay, okay. Yeah. Yeah, what, word, what, word, what
1: word do you think from? it was? Sorry.
3: That's a good question.
1: Yeah. I, I hope it was that. It was Thews. I hope it was Thews. He <laughs> said muscles, and then no. he replaced it with Thews. Yep. <laughs> he,
3: he goes on to say, I had a splitting sick headache, too, when I wrote the first half, and that didn't seem to affect my work any. I wish to thunder I could write with equal ease all the time.
0: Huh. I, I have to admit, I didn't do any of my, my... Like, over the past couple stories, I've done, like, the... Reading the Hither Came Conan and then the, the Howard Andrew Jones like rereads like because those seem to be the core the cornerstones that we can come to over the past few years, like in the past five or so years about like long form discussions of things. Mm. So I don't know what what's been discussed there, but that's that's awesome. So. It's weird, it seems. I don't want to say this story's finally oiled because some of the some of my gripes are with some of the trap machinations, it seems a little bit too contrived, like the way that Thak is like pulling, pulling yeah. sashes and ropes. And
1: and now we will know. wait for the gas to choke <laughs> them out.
0: <and> Thack <laughs>
1: is enjoying it. As you can see, he likes this <laughs>
0: yeah,
1: a little like that for sure.
0: Like to me, that feels <laughs> like you're writing to shorten or something. Uh, but anyway, Howard apparently wrote it in a sitting and changed the word. <laughs>
1: and a word migraine. With a migraine <laughs> which is commendable man i could not
3: I, <laughs> no that's well, crazy i want to
1: do with a migraine is typewriter. yeah yeah no thanks that's
2: crazy Oh
0: uh, that's I, that's crazy to think about like how you could have such a fully formed plot i know we've talked about this but like uh, writing today right like revision and being able to scrutinize every word every sentence within a paragraph and every paragraph within its place within a story yeah like to do that that's how we write today and that's not Seemingly how this kind of stuff like it's a different level. It's like operating on a different level. Can, can I yeah, say yeah. perhaps a hot take?
3: I I do not believe that. Like <laughs> I, Yeah. <laughs> I, I I think Howard is lying. Like I maybe speaking ill of the dead, but like I think he's yeah, he's oh, showing I off agree. for his friend.
1: Exaggerating, yeah. 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 I mean changing but, one word is sus to
3: me. Yes.
0: Yeah. One word. <laughs> That's right, yeah. What writer yeah. does that? Come on. But to be able to take like, I don't know how many words this manuscript is, uh, but to take like a 5,000 or a 10,000 word uh, manuscript that's been typewritten, I guess you go through it and you hand, you hand edit, you make lots of uh, notes in the margins and then you retype it. I mean, I know you do that to, to make it clean, to clean it up, clean it up, clean it up. But what a, what a effing headache, man, to like strike out paragraph five in its entirety but to take like the last two sentences of paragraph six and slide them up to paragraph four to give that little segue it's just a crazy way of thinking about writing and seemingly howard wrote this with ease compared to other stuff like i think we can probably like we got to take him at his word that it was an easier story for him to write i guess Mm -hmm. right
2: yeah Yeah, i can i can see him banging out a draft of this that was pretty good Mm -hmm. but you know, uh, writing it whole cloth and then going back and changing one word. I don't know, I don't know man, maybe. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You... That's, that's tough.
1: And I, I would say too, like I've had moments where I've been writing and like something really does kind of pour out of you and doesn't tend to need a lot of revision, but like that is rare in a whole story. I'm. Uh, that's tough.
0: Yeah. Right. Right. Right.
2: Um, can I tell you guys one of my favorite parts of the story?
0: Yes. Yes.
2: Um, so in, let's see which chapter this is, uh, this is in chapter three. So Murillo um, and Conan have both broken into Nabonidus's house and, uh, Conan has encountered Thak. And so has Murillo, uh, I think, or at least he's listening to Murillo. M- Murillo is listening to what Conan is, is describing. And he says, um, let's see. Uh, Nabonidus says I recovered consciousness only a short time ago. The monster must've thrown me into these pits. Conan. I have suspected that Nabonidus is not wholly human. He is a demon, a wear thing by day. He moves among humanity in the guise of men. And by night he takes on his true aspect. And Conan says, that's evident. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> everyone knows that yeah. you take the form of wolves at will, but why did he kill a servant? Like I, I just, it's I like, uh, yeah, get, everyone caught. knows that. Yes. Yeah. (laughs) I love that part.
1: Uh, I actually, sorry. I I actually marked that down because I was like, it's really interesting. The Conan says, everyone knows that, which makes me think that in the Hyborian age, like everywhere, people are thinking that there are these were creatures that men can take the guys of wolves at will. And as a guy who's like writing this RPG system, I'm like, that's a nugget. That's an interesting kernel. Yeah, uh-huh. Man. Yeah. Right, yeah. Like, what's the nature of that power, and how prevalent is it? Is it a spell? Is it a curse? Anyways, it got me thinking.
3: Yeah, it, I would love to be me... a con artist that that plays on that. Yeah, like, give me yeah, my exactly. hotel room for free, or you'll see the it, wear thing. <laughs> <laughs>
2: um, and, and it makes me think, like, so Conan's a Sumerian, and he's been uh, his his people have been fighting like the the veneer right and the Aesir for generations and those are viking mm. cultures and so are is is he talking about like uh, uh berserkers is he talking about like that sort of tradition in in the oh, world yeah those northern cultures or is mm-hmm. is he really talking about werewolves and howard wrote some really cool interesting and, and unique werewolf stories so you know uh there's a couple of different ways to think about it i think
1: yeah he also mentions i think it's is it Hour of the Dragon or Black Colossus? Maybe Black Colossus, where he says there's some kind of throwaway line about vampires and werewolves and goblins okay. as existing. It's in one of the. It's in one of those two stories, um, yeah. which again is interesting, right? Yeah, goblins. Yeah, a goblin. I know. It's like what is that? Like the worms of the earth? What is that? Or is it? Is it like uh, Christ? What's that old poem or short story? The Goblin Market. You ever read that one?
2: Yeah. Yeah. yeah man uh so yeah. anyway i i just wanted to share that part with you guys it, it made me chuckle but it also is uh a ripe bit of world building uh yeah. for howard to throw out there and go yeah maybe they're werewolves maybe i'll use them in a story someday
1: mm-hmm.
2: yeah i dig that you want to know what my,
1: <laughs> one of my favorite parts of the story is This. <laughs> i love that you've got young drunken conan you know like he gets caught Because he just, like, gets caught unaware, stumbles out of bed, and smashes into the wall. But I also love his escape of the beef bone. Using the beef bone to brain the guard is, like, such a good piece of, like, cartoon violence. But, like, I want to see that in a movie or something so badly. You know, he's smacking his lips, he's finishing his beef bone, and he just annihilates a guy's head with it. I
0: guess maybe these are some of the things that I couldn't believe were written without revision like this. And then the final kill scene with the chair, like that's just uh, it's not elegant. Like (laughs) it (laughs) it is like
1: it's like it seems funky. The chair, especially it's like uh, he hits him with a chair.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Good God almighty broke him in half. Yeah, Yeah. it's it's a little it's a little rough around the edges, but uh, I think this is some of the most raw fights that that Howard has written so far. Yeah,
1: And, and Conan's humor shows in this story, too, with like when he tosses the woman into the cesspit and he chuckles about it, but also at the end, like the line that he gives where he's like. I guess his blood was red after all. Yeah.
0: Oh, yeah. It's, it's like horrible Dave, David jokes. Caruso
1: <laughs> it sunglasses moment. But it, moment. <laughs> but it would, could be funny, right? If that was in a movie, that that could be funny.
2: Like, genuinely. I, I wasn't thinking uh, uh, CSI. I was thinking more like Jinkies.
3: <laughs> <laughs> CSI for sure, right? Yeah. <laughs> I guess his blood was red after all. After all,
2: yeah. Um. So this girl that he drops in, she's unnamed in this story, right? Like we don't who she is. But in the Dark Horse, this is a recurring character, I think. Like someone that's been with Conan for a while and has betrayed him.
3: Him and the Gunderman.
2: The Gunderman. Yeah. Yeah.
3: Yeah. Nestor.
1: They, they equated him as Nestor because he's mentioned in another story or something, right? Hall's the dead maybe.
3: Yeah. So she's Giara, and he's Nestor. uh, Yeah. And he like owes a blood debt to Nestor. There's like this whole thing about how he's supposed to go get his body down from the gallows where he's hanging. Uh, there's another cool plot beat in the Dark Horse version where the Priest of Anu, who is just sort of like a beat in the story. Right. Uh, he's a very cool beat. I would love to talk more about him. But yep. in the Dark Horse version, when Conan goes to kill him, he forces him to drink a potion that will keep him alive and then cuts his head off and then burns his head while it's still alive because of the potion. Holy crap, dude. Yeah. So.
1: Yeah. And and spoiler alert um, for the comics, Nestor comes back like he gets resurrected and he comes back as like zombie Nestor.
3: Yeah. He's collected by uh, some sort of mortuary wizard. And they tied him
1: into like Hand of Nurgle or something. Yeah. I think is what that was. Timothy Truman was writing. I yeah. think on that At that time. Yeah. Yeah.
3: Yeah. Yeah. Those were cool. So if yep. I was going to pick a favorite thing of this story, I think this is the most noir of all the stories that we've read so far for Conan. And I think that that's maybe why I like it is that it feels very Chinatown. Like this is a bad place. It's an unnamed city state, as was said before, and it's just corrupt as all get out. And the whole barbarian versus civilization thing really plays well in this setting where the, the priests are either actually science wizards or they're, they're police informants and criminals at the same time, a very noir element. Uh, and Conan in this, he's like a drunk detective. Like he's hired for a case. Uh, he's going to commit to the case, even though it doesn't really make sense. And Mm. he just happens to work with swords and beef bones instead of guns. Like it's, it's a very noir tale.
0: And he doesn't get paid at the end too. Right. It's like the ending of, he's like, well, I've seen some, I've seen some shit, I guess. Uh, i this is something i like okay so to dovetail off that i like in this story like conan has the opportunity to like there's the statement of like well hey how about going back and getting a little bit of retribution against you know uh an a-hole that's kind of an outstanding problem in the story and conan's like no i'm more intrigued about that horse that you mentioned there's there's other cities that I want to get to. And I want to I want to I want to blow this down, man. I got I got to I got to get somewhere else. This I'm done. I'm done. Yeah.
3: It's not worth it uh, to be here. So.
0: Yeah. And it seems it, like it, it's it's a different note, but it is similar. So like in the Scarlet Citadel, uh, when Conan is kind of leading forces and there's the the aristocratic guy that wants to just like be cavalier and go on and Conan lets him go and there's the remarks of like, why aren't you stopping them? You know, like, why, like why aren't you pushing the, 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 uh, the envelope and and Conan makes the remark as an aged aged man that they, I can understand. They, they, they don't want to trust me and I'll let them do what they will.
3: Mm-hmm. And
0: this is another instance of Conan being like he's not vindictive, like of, of all of the things like Conan in this story is, is a butthole <laughs> with the way that he treats, you know, the dame that he throws her into the cesspool after he cuts the head off of, uh, uh, <laughs> of, a, <laughs> uh, of a priest and all all kinds of kind of kinds of horrible things. Like he's he's not a nice guy in that respect. He's he's uh, well, he, he
1: also takes a murder contract.
0: Yes, right, he, uh, he just like just goal. rolls with it. Oh, he yeah. kills the boyfriend yes.
3: for no reason other yeah. than yeah. He kills so an endangered he, species.
0: He's he is he like he is that noir character that, that John's kind of glomming on to, but he's not somebody that's just outright vindictive and out for blood. It's he's not a revenge man, he is like a passenger in the car. Yeah. Right. Which, which again is a, is a, is a noir kind of thing. Like we've got this PI or this, uh, this, this low life that's kind of our bird's eye view. Who's also gonna see it to the end or unless he doesn't, but you know, in this case, he, he this is heroic. Right. And he's like, all right, story's done. I'm going on.
3: <laughs> yeah. We get
0: this one wild night. I'm just trying any, to figure out
3: what he would, what his like noir dialogue would be about Marillo. Like he, he walked in, <laughs> six foot tall, oily hair. <laughs> I could smell it across the room. Yeah.
1: <laughs> Apply a brand to it, some kind of brand of the oil.
0: Yeah, he was a dapper Dan man. Yeah, Marillo.
1: Yeah, I I I really find it interesting because like obviously Conan's a mercenary and things like that, but the taking of the murder contract in exchange for his freedom is like cold, which is you know he's he's kind of like a grimdark protagonist, right? Like I don't I don't think these stories are they're definitely heroic fiction in a lot of cases, but that one thing is something I I've thought of with Conan a lot is the fact that he's like yeah all right you get me my freedom i'll kill this guy for you that's intense it's not a heroic thing to do man
3: no it's very noiry. uh yeah i'm in a pinch and this is the way out yeah
1: and we i i think too we get a sense from like conan's weird barbaric code of honor where like he doesn't really lie that he would have he would carry it out like he wouldn't he wouldn't just run away. He would do it. The rationalization like said he would do it.
3: of following through. Yeah. Like, yeah. oh, technically this guy didn't get me out. Like his plan failed, but yeah. if he hadn't yeah, set yeah. things in motion, uh, I got to do it. You know, yeah. That kind of thing. Um,
2: Interesting. I really love the, the climax. Well, I guess not really the climax, the, the post, the postmortem after Conan has killed Thack and, Nabonidus is looking down at Thak's dead body, and uh, Howard says, uh, Black, hairy, abhorrent, the monster lay grotesque in the tatters of the scarlet robe, yet more human than be- bestial, even so, and possessed somehow of a vague and terrible path- pathos. Uh, even the Cimmerian sensed this, for he panted, I have slain a man tonight, not a yeah. I will count him am- uh, among the chiefs whose souls I have sent into the dark, and my women will sing of him. That's the pretty cool. I feel like this. Yeah, that's what is. we were
3: focused on ten years ago. I feel like we talked more about Thak than. Well,
1: that's that's another whole piece of interesting world building, right? From the role playing game perspective, I'm like, wait, there's a whole like community of Thaks in those mountains. What's that like? And what, what if, if they what if they cut th- loose and started raiding or something? Right, like that would be insane.
0: What if? Yeah. What if? Uh, what if Thak made it back to his to his his ape his ape community like mm-hmm. they are there <laughs> to to put it bluntly they're dum-dums compared to Thack like Thack's had some schooling right yeah, yeah. Thack's had a lot of opportunities and he's been taught and this other species has the capacity to to do all of the things that Thack does like if you took five of the same species that that's a part of and put them through the same sort of like training and, mm. and experiences that Navinitis did, you would have a whole army of yeah. m- like man apes instead of eight men, you know, it's, it's cool how it's that, that, that flip flop.
1: And that would be, that's, that's perfect for like pastiching, right? Like you get a sorcerer who's like, Oh Christ, I could, I could probably bamboozle all of these things. Right. And I could command This is a ready-made
0: army. Yeah.
1: yeah, Like, that could work. Yeah, it's just, uh, Howard really has a way of just packing in his world building in just, like, single lines. Yeah. Where you're just like, damn, that opens the imagination completely without having to actually go down that road at all. This story
0: doesn't seem quite so grounded. I know we've kind of talked about this already, about where does it happen. Like, this story is not so geographically grounded as some of the other things that we've talked about though which I think is interesting and I think that's why I, this this time reading it I'm making connections to uh, Phoenix on the sword it feels like with the names of like Marillo and Nabonidus, it feels more Grecian or or Roman or like it feels more of that setting than some of the more yeah uh, you know uh, African or uh, Eastern flavors or like Island flavors that we, <laughs> that we've seen in some of the other recent stories.
1: Yeah. Whenever I read Phoenix or, um, by this ax, I rule, I really just get Hamlet vibes and like Julius Caesar vibes. Like it feels like Howard was reading a Shakespeare at that time and just yeah. pulling names out and like little plot details. Yeah. This one, it's, it, it, it is interesting to consider the setting, especially with those names. Because those names aren't the same names as we heard thrown around in like uh, Tower of the Elephant or something, right? Like no, seems different regionally for the personalities. Yeah, yeah, I think, yeah. yeah that's, uh, Grecian, I, I
2: think you're on to something yeah. there. Sorry, John.
3: No, if you if you look at the the Rogues in the House Wikipedia page, it specifically says it's supposed to be between Corinthia and Zamora, and Corinthia mm-hmm. is an analog for Greece, whereas Zamora is for the Romani people. Mm-hmm. Uh, it quotes on Wikipedia about. Also has hints of Israel, so I'm I'm not sure like between Greece and Israel what we would be looking at in terms of mountain ranges and all that Mm -hmm. stuff. But we need a geography Um, teacher. Yeah, Mm -hmm. yeah.
2: Um, So Mitra is the the god that these these priests are uh, priests of, right? Well,
3: we got we got a new the god of a new. Okay, you wanted to. No, I don't. I don't want to. I I like the priest of Anu, who's clearly like a two timing snake and gets (laughs) gets what's coming to him. Uh, I don't necessarily care about Anu. I am very fascinated by the use of Mitra in this story. Like Nabonidus is sort of presenting himself as an atheistic scientist, like he doesn't believe in magic, and yet he calls on Mitra a lot. (laughs) Uh, He seems to be very prone to being like, "Oh God, save me!"
1: Yeah. And I always consider that, like, I'm a non-religious person, but I will always say, like, Jesus Christ as a curse or, like, Christ, what's next? Right. And it's like, I'm not actually appealing to a God, but I say it a lot. So maybe that's an Evanitis thing. I don't know.
3: Maybe he would be very at home on Reddit. Yeah, you're right.
2: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All right. What else, Luke? You got uh, a favorite thing about the story? I don't know if you've shared.
0: Uh, I think... The thing that I like the most about this story is probably the the clarity of the the civilization barbarism angle. Like, of course, that's the that's one of these things, these themes that comes up again and again. I like this story because it makes clear, I think, Howard's affinity for the the barbaric or the barbarian, I wouldn't say the barbaric state, but the barbarian, it's, it's an honesty thing. Like Howard treasures, like honesty. And the fact, like there's the line about like the barbarians, the most honest of the three, because at least he's going to, you know, admit that he's going to kill you before he kills you or something, something along those lines. Right. He's not going to lie about it. He's not going to try to try to cover things up. And we see that in other stories, But I really think it's elegantly put here and I think it's cool that we have three different characters that are kind of on this gradient. And I know we've talked about uh, already this season like gradients of uh, civilization and kind of like where holy men and these shamans and these politicians fit in. But I think this is a really great uh, example of – how we've got Conan on one extreme, and he's he's a pretty honest dude. But then we've got this observer about Conan, who's able to kind of see the difference of him versus the other extreme of the sorcerer or the politician. Like, and I, I guess that's the other thing is I like how the sorcerer and the politician kind of get wrapped up into one in this story too. Yeah, you it's f- almost like we get Thothamon mixed with uh, the the.
3: With a the, robber baron, with a uh, yes, with a yeah. robber baron, with, yeah, 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 exactly, like yeah, a yeah. Boomtown oil example. Uh, yeah, uh, you exploit a whole kingdom for your personal greed, and under the guise of disinterested statesmanship, you swindle the king, beggar the rich, oppress the poor, and sacrifice the whole future of the nation for your ruthless ambition. You are no more than a fat hog with his snout in the trough. You are a greater thief than I. This Sumerian is the most honest man of the three of us because he yeah. steals and murders openly. Like it just feels. I mean, there's some quintessential Howard stuff in there, right? Like seeing people in his oil boom towns in Texas. And mm-hmm. I'm sure he would have appreciated the town pickpocket way more than the oil baron that came in and like ruined cross Plains or whichever town it was they were in at the moment.
1: Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's true. And this story too, like I, I had forgotten cause I, I can't actually place where the, um, you know, this, uh, civilization versus barbarism like i know it's all through the stories i can think of all kinds of quotes that come up but i forgot how much of it was kind of in this one Mm -hmm. right and and that that quote there nails it almost as much as any other i can think of really i got a question for you guys um this came to me when I was I was thinking about this story and like my my memory is really hazy. This is going back like 15 years or so in university, but Murders in the org from uh Edgar Allan Poe, as I recall, the revelation, like one of the reveals in the story was, Oh my god, it was done by like a primate
3: who it's committed these. Ring-tang.
1: Yeah, who committed these murders. Did Howard read that and and clip that idea that like the murder was actually a An ape man, an ape of sorts. Do you think there's any connection there? That's a good question. Has anyone anyone talked about that before? Like, I I, I feel like someone had to come to
3: that.
0: Yeah, surely they have. So Murders of the Rue Morgue uh, was written in 1841. So, of course, 80 years before what we're talking about here. Uh, And it's like a classic Detective story, right? Yeah. Uh, oh, it says here. Oh, okay. So, as the first fictional detective, uh, Poe Dupin displays many traits which have become literary conventions in subsequent fictional detectives, including Sherlock and uh, Hercule Poirot. So, it ha- like he had to. I mean, he was yeah. working with these with the 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 detective tropes, like we've talked about the God in the Bowl kind of kind of feels here he's tapping into that that storytelling
1: yeah it's just just the fact that that sort of the murderer was a monkey <laughs> of sorts I was like yeah like that specific beat very specific much, right yeah yeah uh and also too like the line at the end where Conan is saying it was a man I killed tonight almost feels a bit like King Kong twas beauty that killed that beast uh-huh do you know what I mean like it's it's uh, similar wavelengths or something. Oh, no, for sure. Yeah. And I think we don't know if Howard saw Kong, but I think that they speculate that he may have. I've it heard, I think maybe Mark Finn talk about that before.
2: If not, then probably secondhand, like he heard of, uh, yeah. of it. Um, for sure. Yeah. There's there's layers of, of you know, the the Beast actually had humanity the whole time. Mm-hmm. It's not a TV trope, but it's gotta be right.
0: We talked about that, that Howard, you know, that the Bobby Derry had speculari- speculated that he'd likely seem like Dracula, right? Like when we talked about the horror on the mound and that kind of thing. And so like, it seems logical that with, with King Kong, that he probably, if he had a chance to go to the movies,
3: that would have been in his wheelhouse. Mm-hmm. Oh
2: yeah. 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 He
3: would have totally loved King Kong for sure. Island with people worshiping a giant monkey civilization in New York city is bad. Yeah. (laughs) Haven't thought of that angle, but yeah, yeah. Yeah. Most def.
0: Okay. Well, are we, uh, are we getting to the, to the back end here, guys? Anything else that we want to talk about? Any, any major plot points, uh, specific scenes that we want to, want to mention? Anything else, John? You seem to be able to pull up some quotes, so thanks for being able to get those out in short order. But no do you guys have any other specific scenes or anything like that that we want to hit on? I feel really bad
3: back. for Thack. Like, Thack didn't deserve this. Thack, Thack is such an innocent victim in all of this. Warped. Now,
1: now let me push back slightly okay. on that because, because uh, you know, the, the storytelling, can, you know, they'll, they'll tell the writer, don't kill the dog. Thack killed that dog. He did kill a dog. You're right. And it was not a wolf.
3: It, nope. said, you he, know, it was he, like
1: a savage <laughs> hound, but he did kill the dog. So I he I, killed I, a dog
3: and a faithful servant. Like he yeah. he's, he's, but I feel like it's all in, I, I don't know. Like there's something about fact where it's like this yeah. person that wants freedom. Uh, he's trapped. He doesn't really understand what he's been made to be. And mm-hmm. I just sent a text, uh, the picture of his death in the dark horse comic, it is like you can see his eyes and there's clearly, he's like seeing things and you want to believe that it's home or something. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. Yeah. Like Thak, Thak just, yeah.
1: I'm I'm not actually pushing back on you. Like I agree. He is, he's a sympathetic character and I mean, Conan's line kind of seals the deal, right? Yeah. 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 He's exploited for sure by an evil civilized, you know, (laughs) scientist type. The most
3: civilized. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
2: They're the worst. (laughs) <laughs> uh, I, I wanted to ask you guys, um, we, we've we talked about the gaming angles of some of these stories, um, most extensively the Tower of the Elephant, but I feel like this is another good module um, yeah, for sure. to throw some characters into. So what do you guys think about this as I uh, I don't know, a character funnel for um, a DCC game or, uh, you know, an uh, OSR kind of... Uh, DD one-nighter what do you what do you think
3: well if we did it conan would be dead in the first conan would died. <laughs> he would sell. be hanging instead of the gunderman
2: <laughs> yeah. oh man uh,
1: i mean serious, yeah i i agree that it, it just feels so module this and tower of the elephant especially feel like D sessions and when I don't know. It's strange because I, I when I used to read those old modules, the AD&D ones, um, it was before I'd read any Howard. And then when I read the Howard, I didn't even really know. I hadn't even really considered Appendix N or any of that. And then when I read them back, they they feel nostalgic to D&D for me. So it's like those thoughts are there for a reason, right? Like, yeah, I think you're on to that. Just wondering. Just, just. hashtag yeah. I would play that if that's what you're wondering. i thought totally. It'd be great.
2: Uh, maybe uh, maybe we'll break out the Conan, uh, the TSR Conan. Uh, oh, yeah. Game again and uh, see what hijinks can ensue. But yeah, that's the
1: only Conan RPG I've never played, and uh, I hear it's great.
2: We we played one session of it. Uh, you can hear it on the Tower of the Elephant episode and uh, things. Thing. It's a lot of fun. It's a lot Mm. of things don't go uh, quite the way you would anticipate them to go.
1: And Those (laughs) old old games are hardcore, man. Like, they will kick your ass.
2: Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, uh, If you land a critical hit and the uh, uh, person who, the character who uh, gets hit doesn't save, they're gone. They're dead. (laughs) Conan's dead. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. You laugh. Yeah, Yeah, I know. I know.
1: Newer games have, like, fail-safes you know, built in for that. So your hero doesn't die that way. Yeah. Not, not Mark Borg or something like that, but, uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, and you know what, like, this is weird. This is again about like, just cause my current thing is I'm, I'm trying to write an RPG system, which is like, you know, somewhat, uh, overwhelming. And I've played a lot of games over the years, done a thing. So I'm like, I'm, I'm pretty confident in like knowing what I like and what will work. And, But um, man, I'm at the point where I have to stop looking at other RPGs. People are literally people I don't even really know are like, hey, you should check this out because I know you're writing this. I'm like, no, I got to stop. I keep encountering things that like if you think to yourself, I'm going to adapt a sword and sorcery game. What kind of what I do? And it's like so everyone's doing similar things. But I'm even running to the point now where like they're using the same names for for things and mechanics, and I'm like, oh and I just this is the task. I've got to do a conan RPG on the back of everyone else doing all this stuff. So yeah. As much as I like I need to not look at it so that I know my <laughs> ideas are at least from a pure place of you know, even if they're was you know, similar as elsewhere, I gotta right. know that I came to them by honest means, right? Anyway, that's a whole other discussion, but it's uh <laughs> it's kind of a little bit a little anxiety around it, I'm not gonna lie. I'm picking that yeah. up.
0: Yeah, you've got yeah. I mean, you've gotta know uh as far as like your own your own ideas, it's it's healthy to be able to say, Yeah, I know that there's this great thing out there, but I gotta I gotta yeah. keep my own <laughs> my own yeah, my own ideas or my own my headspace kind of clean. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right, exactly. but it's it, a good way to put it.
1: But it's gotta also be true to the character and have the vibe of short stories and of fast action and all these things. So it's like you can't peel away too far from what others have done because you're adapting the same thing. Anyways, that's yeah. a whole that, – that's a math problem. Just <laughs>
2: <laughs> anytime, you want, anytime you want to vent, man, we're
1: here for it. Thanks, guys. More whiskey, more wine. Let's, uh, let's get into it. <laughs>
0: All right. Well, uh, let's go ahead. Let's put a pin in this one. We'll call it good. I feel like we have talked about uh, – the rogues in the house story a fair amount. We've talked about some, I don't know. We've talked about some cool different angles and I like that. We've all had the opportunity to hit on some things that we think that worked and favorite moments and some quotes. So I feel like we've covered this story a bit, a bit better maybe than uh, maybe one of the last, uh, the last couple where we might've hit on some like plot or we hit on characters, but we didn't sort of hit on the, The full, the full kind of appearance of things. Mm -hmm. So, uh, yeah. So let's wrap it up. Uh, Matt, thanks for being here, dude. It's much appreciated. We're glad to have you on.
1: Listen, guys, it was a blast. Anytime, you know, I will be another talking head. Um, there's four rogues in this house tonight.
0: (laughs) Talking (laughs) about the rogues in the house.
1: (laughs) What a roguish pursuit
0: nice yeah. and so you've talked about the the game that you're working on of course there's the rogues in the house podcast anything else you want to throw out there to mention real quick can,
2: can i can i mention something that you might not say yeah yeah do it uh, did you not just get a story published in the magician's Magician's skull
1: i did yeah it actually just uh it just shipped to backers uh and then to like people because they they did it on kickstarter um, but it'll be available to the general public uh, real soon. Yeah, yeah. I, I got to say that's a, a feather in the old cap with a San Julian cover to boot. Shit, yeah. I mean, I'm pretty happy with that. I was really thrilled that they liked the story. And, uh, and actually, interestingly, the story in there called The Simple Errand uh, starts much in the same way as Rogues in the House with uh, our our swordsman stuck in a cell and somebody telling them uh, a way out
2: nice man yeah that's that is quite uh an accomplishment and something you should be really proud of yourself uh well, thanks uh, yeah I, in that in that uh uh you know venerated magazine
1: yeah it's a it's a beauty and anyone who's not read the Magician's skull i recommend it it's uh it's top shelf Yeah, man. Do you have any
0: other uh, stories in the hopper that are that are, you know, in in press or uh, you're working on some stuff?
1: Yeah, I'm in a kind of a weird spot where I've got like three finished stories with no home um, and like I quite like them. Um, I don't know. I feel a little more confident in things I'm writing lately and just less anxious about. You know, there's a thousand things to get anxious about with writing, as I know you guys know. Um, but, yeah, I just I kind of feel good about it. I'm going to put out a collection at some point. But I've got a few more I'll shop around. But mostly i got to focus on the gaming stuff with the free time I have right now.
2: Do you, is the gaming stuff, can you talk about like timelines or anything like that? Is, is uh,
1: the, yeah,
2: I think I could probably like give a... Hard, uh, and, a hard and fast kind of deadline you're running with? or
1: Yeah, um, so... As we've announced, um, Red Nails will be another expansion for the Conan board game, um, focusing on, obviously, the story Red Nails by Robert E. Howard. There's a few other little bits we're putting in there, um, sort of ex- add-ons that would go with the expansion. Um, one I cannot mention yet. Uh, another I will, I've will i already mentioned is like a little Frizetta add-on, so we basically got a sweet... Frazetta mini of uh, it's the Conqueror, right? Is it the Conqueror where Conan's coming on the horse? I think so. Yeah, so we got that mini and then we've got the uh, the Destroyer as well where he's a- atop the heap of bodies waving that axe. So we've got a situation where you'll have a scenario where you will play as horsed Conan and then unhorsed with a little mechanic involved too. Um, that's looking to be later in the year. I won't give a date, but probably fall ish Mm -hmm. and then the rpg will be 2024 at some point so exciting stuff cool Cool. deadlines blah 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 but uh if you're into the conan gaming side of things plenty more to come
2: that's awesome yeah man i'm i'm glad that uh you know you're a fan you're out there not only waving the flag for conan in gaming but uh putting together cool content and you've been in it like this is not your first rodeo in this arena. Uh you you've been doing this a, a little while. So, uh it's it's cool that you're you're the guy. You're the you're you're becoming <laughs> the, Conan, the Conan gaming guy. Yeah. <laughs>
1: yeah. I, I never would have thought. It's just you know, you get these opportunities, you do your damn best and like, hell man, it's a pretty it's a pretty cool side job to have, I won't lie.
2: Yeah, that's awesome, man. Luke, are we taking a, taking it out? Are we done? Yeah, man. Take us home. Where can the people find us, Josh? They can find us on the web at thecromcast.blogspot.com. You can email us. We're thecromcast at gmail.com. You can call us and leave us your civilized or barbaric thoughts about Thack, about Nabonidus, about Conan, about Matt John. We did not do a Conan voice, even though John uh, Jonathan and I both faded him into it. I,
1: I felt I felt bad. I didn't. I did not <laughs> want to come in there and be like, "Listen, guys, you got to be more subtle with the accents here."
2: <laughs> we go big, yeah.
1: People, do you see the memes out there? They're like, "I'll be Bach. You never. I don't say the Bach. I say, "I'll be back." I'll be back. There's no <laughs> shit. It's
2: not a tumor. It's not ah. a tuma. <laughs> uh, we are on all of the requisite Social medias at the Chromecast um, And yeah find us We're out there search Google Google knows us except you'll Have to remind Google that we are neither the com—neither uh, Comcast or the Chromecast
0: And with that thank you All for joining us and you can find us A little bit further down The Road of Kings